But Psalm 23, um, I, I, I can remember being in fourth grade. The Lord called me to himself um, when I was a young, young boy. And I can remember um, in children's church, just like what these kids um, walk up to um, the, pastor, the children's pastor there, um, calling uh, young men and women to faith in Christ. And I can remember placing my faith in Christ and not too long after that, um, memorizing Psalm 23. And, and um, it means a lot to my life and it has great meaning for God's people. And I want to ask you this morning this question. I think this psalm answers the question. Even when Jason was speaking, he was answering the question. Um, when he was praying, he was answering the question. But I, I want to ask you this question, and the question is this. What are we doing here? Why are you here? Why do we do Lights Over Northwest? Why do we do Mission OKC? Why do we take kids to Falls Creek? Why do we do VBS? Why do we do Children's Church? Why do we do Community Advance? Why do we do community groups? Hopefully you were part of one of those this morning. I have to ask this question because it is foundational to why the church exists. And, and, and really, to answer this question, we have to ask ourselves a, a bit of a higher, what is God doing here? What is he about? Because the reality is, if Northwest is not about what God is doing, if we are not about what God wants to do, then we might as well just sleep in. I mean, what is God wanting to do here? What, what is he wanting to do through us, his church? I mean, we have this beautiful, unending creation, this, this splendid universe that we, we get to enjoy, this earth that he has placed people to live on, that he has created, but what is his goal? What is his mission? And, and, and sometimes we get confused as people. Sometimes we, we look through the, the cultural lens in which we live, the world in which we live in, and we think that the world and everything is about us. God created all this for me. He died for me. He loves me. He rescued me. He exists to please me. It's all about me. And so I ask the question, why are you here? Because a lot of times we get confused. Is it to improve myself? Is it to feel appreciated? Is it to feel good? Is it to gain some knowledge? Is it to get something out of it? Is it, it might even think that maybe God might reward me. Yet those are not the answers which God states here in Psalm 23. Yes, God does love us. Yes, he cared for us. Yes, he sacrificed for 
us. Yes, he protects us. This is seen clearly in Scripture. But the motivation for all of those things, even your salvation, goes well beyond you and me. And we see very plainly in this passage, and as we read it this morning, you'll see it is all for his name's sake. It is all for the glory of God. It's not about you or it's not about me. We exist for the glory of God. That's why his church exists. For the glory of God. So open up your your Bibles to Psalm 23. We're on page 458 this morning as we read together the word of God which has power to transform our hearts, to transform our desires, to transform our souls. And would you stand with me to hear from the word of God? And may it give peace and comfort to you this morning as you read it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, amen. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as people who constantly are in desperate need of you. Father, we know that we need you every single day. Lord, you are the good shepherd that has given us life. Father, we thank you that we have access to your dwelling place, that you dwell among us. Father, we thank you that you restore our soul. We thank you that you breathe life to us. And Father, we ask that we would be people about your glory, about your name, not to make our name great, but about your glory. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word of God that offers peace and comfort to our souls that we may rest knowing that you are with us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a uh, missions worldview class. It's called Perspective. Some of you have taken it. I've heard from some of you in this congregation who have taken it, and they allow 
you to see all the different religions of the world and how to share the gospel to different people of different worldviews, how to share with your Muslim friends, how to share with your Buddhist friends, and how to share with your agnostic friends. And in this class, they have something called a cat and dog theology. I may have mentioned this once or twice before. And it goes something like this. The cat says... My owner feeds me, he cares for me, he cleans up after me, therefore I must be God, right? That's what the cat says. I'm, I'm not much of a cat guy, but uh, if you are, I'm sorry. But uh, I am a dog person, and the dog says, my master feeds me, he cares for me, he cleans up after me, there mu- therefore he must be God, Right? And that's why you come home and your dog is all over you and so happy to see you and your cat is stuck up in the corner going, I could care less, right? Well, we don't want to have a feline theology. God loves me. He is for me. Therefore, I must be the point. We do not want to have that theology. And in this thought process, everything falls apart when life gets hard. When we get cancer or we lose our job or we're having difficulty in our marriage, this theology that life is about me, that God exists for me, falls apart. What is God doing? Is he not doing his job right? Is he taking a nap? But when God is the point, then God can be glorified. In the worst of situations, in the worst of the trial, because we still have faith in God, because we are not the point. That He is right next to us, even in the worst and the hardest situations. This is what David is telling us here in Psalm 23. When he is leading us beside the still waters, it's for his name's sake. When we sit in the green pastures and rest in the beauty of God's creation, it's for his glory. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death in the most difficult times of suffering, he will be with us to show himself faithful. He will be enough and he will lavish his blessings upon us even into eternity, ultimately for his name's sake. The purpose of this sermon this morning is to remind us of our purpose, which is to glorify God. No matter what the situation we find ourselves in, it is not about us. It is about the glory of God. And three ways God does this in our life, and we see this in this passage, is the Lord is the restorer of my soul. The Lord is with me in the valley of darkness and my dwelling place is with the Lord. David, a man after God's own heart, writes this psalm. He is a shepherd himself. It's impossible to cover everything that we want to cover in this text this morning, but for the sake of being able to be here at a decent time this morning, we're going to cover as much as we can. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
first point in understanding what he does for his name's sake is that the Lord is the restorer of my soul. Again, the psalm at first glance may look to you like it's about us, but in reality, it is about God. He begins to lay down the description of who God is like in the first phrase. David describes God as the shepherd. And not only a shepherd, but my shepherd. He knows me. You see, David knows sheep. And sheep are animals that are basically helpless. They cannot survive very long without the the protection of the shepherd. They are dependent upon the shepherd for their care. And he says aloud, I shall not want. What is that about? He knows that he is in the arms of the good shepherd. He does not need. He knows that God knows what's best for him. I can remember uh, going on a fishing adventure one time uh, in the ocean. It was in Thailand, and our family was going on this deep sea adventure, fishing adventure, right? And my wife says to me, you're going to need some motion sickness for this, Rob. And I go, I'm good. I I know myself. I don't really need motion sickness. I know I'm going to just go my own way, right? I'm going to do my own thing because I know what I need. I mean, how bad can it be? And the the boat captain goes before we... uh, got on the boat, the boat captain, the first thing he says, he says, it's pretty rough out there today. You may need some medicine. (laughs) I'm good, right? I know what's best for myself. Maybe you've been there before. I know what I need. I'm going to do my own thing. And within 30 minutes, I'm languishing on, in pain on this bench on this boat and going, whatever you got, just give it to me, right? Are we trusting that our God is sovereign, that he knows what is best for us? Are we trusting that he is the good shepherd? Are we trusting him enough to say, we follow you, I shall not want Are we trusting in his ways over our own ways? And guess what he does? He makes me lie down in green pasture. Sometimes we don't even know what a green pasture is. You know what else sheep do? They wander. They get lost. They get attacked. They even are hurt. They even hurt themselves sometimes by drowning or falling off a cliff, not the brightest of animals, yet we are described as sheep in the Bible. Isaiah 53, 6 says this of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The good shepherd makes his sheep lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside 
still water, right? I thought I'd make a joke about still water, but uh, I'm not going to do that. As the resting place of God, right? Um, but that's not, that's for another time. Man, this God is not only protecting, but he's providing He's leading us to peaceful places besides still waters. And guess what? When, when God leads you to peace, one of the things that peace does is it allows your body and your spirit to rest. The scripture describes this rest as the restoration of my soul. He restores my soul some of us in this room are not at peace. You may be battling addiction. You may be battling in your marriage. You may be battling your children. You're battling the cares of this world. And you'll do anything at this moment for peace. Sometimes people go at great lengths even if it's not the correct outlet to just have a moment of peace. They're searching for peace. And yet the Lord is the one that places us in good pastures. He's the one that leads us to still waters. He's the one that restores our soul. Christ, who calls himself the good shepherd, says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ says, I'm the good shepherd. Come to me and find rest. Find restoration of your soul. This rest in which Christ talks about and which Psalm 23 talks about is the forgiveness of God. Peace with God. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And this is the way in which the Lord renews and restores and gives peace. Is he gives new life to those who come to him in faith. This new life is no longer hostile to God, but grants us peace with God. We call Jesus the good shepherd. The, the way that he does that is he, he, God has placed our sin upon the cross of Christ. We are now able to walk with God down paths of righteousness because Christ has appeased the wrath of God. We're no longer condemned by God because of our sin, because of our iniquity, because we have gone our own way, but 
God has poured his wrath out upon Christ. And those who place their trust in Christ, they are declared righteous before an almighty God. It's because of God's great grace and his mercy that he leads us down these paths of righteousness. But here's the big deal here. It leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you know that? Did you know that you are declared righteous for God's glory? Have you ever understood the weight of that, that your salvation, that you being saved is for God's glory? It's not for you to get a ticket to go to heaven, but for God's glory that he could show his grace and mercy to you? How can we understand that and then not live that out? How can we understand that our great salvation is for God and then not live for God? We can't. But, if, but understand this, if your salvation is for you, Guess what? You still live for you. For your name to be glorified. For your life to mean something. Let me give you some scriptures. Did you know that you were created for the glory of God? Isaiah 43, 7 Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He called Israel, the people of God, for his glory. Isaiah 49, 3. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He rescued Israel, granting them salvation from Egypt, the Egyptian bondage for his glory, Psalm 106.8, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he may, might make known his mighty power. Jesus calls men to perform good deeds for the glory of God, Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says one cannot have saving faith without understanding that it is for the glory of God. John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? God forgives sin for his glory. Psalm 25, 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
And guess what? God is coming again for his glory. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at, at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. Everything is for his glory. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know what? This is so counterculture in our day and age. Every, every time we, we turn the television on, there's a commercial. And, and you know the slogans, I'm loving it, just do it. It's all about you. Every, every commercial, watch, watch every commercial. It's about what do you want to be? What do you want to do? How can you live your life to the fullest? And guess what? This has creeped into the church. The philosophy of what do you desire? You're the point. But that is not the Scripture. That is not what God says. The chief in demand is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You exist to worship, to praise, to love, and to make much of God. And that's why we're here. That's why we gather together as the church. Because we love our God. And we want to see Him move amongst His people. And we want to see Him glorified and praised. Lifted high. This is hard stuff. I'm not going to lie. So you're saying, Rob, I'm not the purpose. That's right. You're not even second. God is most glorified when you are to love others more than yourself. That means you're third. God first, others second. Your third, you get the bronze medal. I may be shocking some of you guys at this, this preaching this morning. And you're thinking, that's not how I was raised. God was always about me rather than me being about God. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is such good news. This is such good news. If God is after the praise of His glorious grace, then He is not after our begrudging submission to Him. But rather, He is after our joy because we love Him. So all the commands... And Scripture are about lining you up with how He designed things to be for His glory and your greater joy. So the commands of Scripture, the teachings of the Word of God are actually for His glory and for our joy because we exist to glorify Him. Let me illustrate this. I've done a few weddings over the years. I actually did a couple that's uh, going to join the church today and uh, did their wedding in the dark, by the way. They had no lights, and 
Uh, the bride was a trooper in that. She didn't even um, get upset at all. The, the electricity was knocked out in the church that I was doing uh, their wedding in. But we, I love doing weddings. I, I love sharing the gospel through marriage. And um, I love giving um, godly advice to young couples and, and starting their marriage on the foundation, which is Christ. But what if we were doing a wedding and the, I turned to, to the groom and said, do you take this lady to be your lawful wedded wife? And, and he says to me, you know what, I guess... I mean, we got all these people together. She's been hounding me about it for weeks. I guess I'll be in. But that's sometimes how we view Christianity. That's how, sometimes how we view walking with God. But that's not what God is after. He's after my joy. Yes, I'm in. The grace of God is so infinitely imaginable that I cannot help but respond with thanksgiving and joy. Why? Because this beautiful God has saved me, not because of my own works, but because of his grace and his mercy. And he has granted me this great salvation. Therefore, I must live for him. And I find joy in that. But what about suffering, Rob? What about suffering? Why didn't he just leave me in green pastures all the day long? Why don't I just walk by the still waters? In verse 4, we come to, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice here, The valley of the shadow of death. It is not the valley of death. It is a mere shadow of death. This is point number two this morning. The Lord is with me in the valley of darkness. We don't enter into death as believers. Yes, we go through difficult times that seem devastating and very dark. We are not eternally separated from God. God is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. But why does God, the good shepherd, take us or walk with us even when we take our own path or go through the valley of the shadow of death? You guessed it. For his glory. Martin Luther said this as soon as God's word becomes known through you, the devil will afflict you and make a real theologian out of you. He will teach you by his temptations to seek and to love God's word even more. For I myself owe my persecutors many things for so oppressing and frightening me. For through the devil's raging, they have turned me into a fairly good theologian driving me to a goal I would otherwise have never reached. Basically, he's saying, I've learned God's word 
because of the trials and the people that I faced in my life. And I trust in the Lord and his goodness and his grace. And sometimes these trials and these temptations, these suffering is producing a steadfastness to show our faith genuine before God and to bring glory to himself. That's why James, the writer of James, has counted all joy, my brothers, when we face trials of many kinds. Because those trials are producing steadfastness of our faith. God uses these circumstances in our life that he, to show that he's working in us. That his hand is leading and guiding us through this valley, which on the outside looks like death. That's just the shadow of death. If you put your face up against the stained glass window, all you would see some jagged edges, some broken glass. You really wouldn't see very much. But as you zoom out and walk further and further away from the window, you'd see the beauty more and more. But up close, you don't have a shot at seeing that. You see the imperfections. What's going on? This is how sometimes suffering is for the glory of God. We zoom in very hard into our suffering. But when we zoom out and see the beautiful picture of what God is doing and how he is using it for his glory, we can then see God at work. Now, when we look at this, in verse 4, you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord not only uses staff for protection, but he uses the rod for discipline. When we walk through the valley, he's not only pointing us in the, the right direction, placing the rod on our side as a gentle father would, moving us towards the path of righteousness. But he also has the staff there to ward off anything that would attack that we could not handle. You see, God is doing that in his church. He's shaping, he's molding, he's moving, he's disciplining. He's guiding, he's protecting. All for what? For the glory of God. Is guiding us and directing us towards his dwelling place. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is point number three this morning. My dwelling place is with the Lord. My dwelling place is with the Lord. Guess what's happening here? The enemies are surrounding. And yet the Lord is preparing a banquet table in their presence. Jesus says, 
The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, this anointing, the blessing, the cup overflowing has relationship to what God is giving us. And the greatest thing that He gives is Himself, is the Holy Spirit. And we are filled with the Spirit. The goodness and mercy follows us in this life and we dwell in the presence of God forever. You know, I, I read this section and what we've been talking about in prayer and fasting. And, 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 and maybe it is that we need to change our way that we pray. And instead of asking God to remove us from the situation or the trial or the suffering that we are in, Maybe we should ask God to bring His Spirit and to fill us with the Spirit of God that empowers us to walk through the situation that we're in. God's blessings are unimaginable. But you can see some of them here in this passage. We have fellowship with God in the midst of persecution. We're given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to empower us, to glorify Him with our life. We are granted goodness and mercy in this life, and then we are granted eternal life with God forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? For His glory. I've said this multiple times as, as I preach, and I I become more and more aware of it as I read the scriptures. But the people that desire God are the people that want to be with God for eternity. The people that just want a ticket to heaven. They don't really desire to be with God for eternity. And some of us start out that way. Just need a ticket. Just get me in the gate. But it's all for his glory. Even our salvation. So in conclusion, it's not about us. And how does that play out in our life? When it's not about you, guess what happens? You're freed up to proclaim his name through your life. When it's not about you, your spouse doesn't have to do things exactly how you want them to be done for your relationship to be about his glory. 
Think about Hosea. God says, Hosea, prophet, go marry a prostitute. Because I want you to see what it's like. The people of Israel have sprayed away from me. They have become unfaithful to their God. I want you to see what it's like. What if your marriage is difficult for the glory of God? What about the guy that cuts you off in the traffic? Instead of saying, man, that guy did it on purpose, why not just say, he didn't see me? Because you're not the point. Living for the glory of God is freedom. Because you can find rest. You can find peace. Knowing the good shepherd cares about you. Knowing the good shepherd wants what's best for you. Knowing the good shepherd walks with you. But it's not about you. And guess what? Living for the glory of God also allows you to do things that you might not otherwise do with your time, your money, your resources, your relationships. And guess what? It's fun. It is. It's fun. I tell people on staff sometimes, my job is just to get into trouble and ask God to do a work in it. What I mean by that is go around the town and talk, start talking to people and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Go to halfway across the globe and start talking to some random guy and go, Lord, what do you want me to say to this guy? Living on mission is living for his glory. Let's be a church that lives for the glory of God, for his name's sake, and recognize that the Lord is our good shepherd. Let's pray.